Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 3.5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of official fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players that you love. If you enjoy our show and are looking to buy a new jersey, sweatshirt, or hat, you can support us by going to podgo.co slash fanatics and getting 25% off your next order. That's podgo.co slash fanatics. Fanatics officially licenses everything. The Oracle Look deeper. Right, welcome to or welcome back to the Great Unsolved podcast. I'm your host Alexis, and this week we are diving into the second part of our four-part series on an unknown active serial killer. Before we get into that, I wanted to address a one-star review I got the other day. The review doesn't bother me. Not everybody's gonna like me. That's whatever. But they mentioned the ads I have in my podcasts. I have curated it where there's only one ad at the beginning and two at the end. Obviously, the two at the end, you can just stop the recording if you want to. You don't have to listen to them, but they're there in case people want to listen to them and just get me monetization. Sorry, my glasses are glaring. Um, so... That is really the reason I put ads in, just for a little bit of monetization. I don't make, I make 30 to $40 a month off of the episode monetization. It's not a lot. It handles my distribution fees and it handles my production fees, basically. So it's, it's not, <laughs> um, I don't really get anything. It's just to cover what I need for the podcast, if that makes sense. If you do want to support the podcast at all, we have a Patreon. I say we like it's not just me here. I have a Patreon for it that is linked down below. And that one you can subscribe to any level. And it really helps me out because it gives me more time, well, more money to spend more time doing research rather than 
working at an actual job and so on. So there's always that. Also leaving good reviews if you're on Apple Podcasts is always a great way to support the show or just sharing on social media. If you are on social media, our Twitter is at Great Unsolved, our Instagram is Great Unsolved Pod, I think. We have a Facebook group, we have a Facebook page, we have a website. I think that's it. I am not really sure. But anyway, go visit us on those or support us on Patreon or whatever you want to do. So this week, we are getting into the victims. And if you're watching this, you unders, you obviously you're watching it. That doesn't make sense. So if you're watching this, you're watching this. If you're listening, I did also put this on our normal podcast stream so that people can listen to this episode without watching it. However, I suggest if you have time going to our YouTube and watching this because I am video recording as I'm recording this episode because there are some things on the internet I do want to show you guys pertaining to these cases and I'm going to explain them for the people who are just listening but it's always better to view them anyway. So whichever way you're watching let's just get into this. There are possibly 55 to 75 murders that go along with this theory. Possibly one caller killer, possibly two killers, maybe more. I only connected 44 of the murders to together. And probably next week we'll get into why I put the 44 together and why I think they're all by the same person, why I don't think the other seven are. And it'll, we'll just get into it. Today I have 51 cases to read to you. Now that seems like a lot, but there's not a lot of information on these cases. These are mostly cases of murdered black women and they were all strangled unless I say otherwise because I have notes on those, but really there's no information. The media isn't publicizing their murders and they're just going unsolved, which is a common theme in the murders of minorities. And by minorities, I mean anyone who isn't white because that's apparently how our society sees it. And the police just don't work as hard. And people don't feel the need to push as much. And obviously that's not okay because there are tons of murders going unsolved that I feel like if we push them out to the media, as we do with the cases of like white children, then some of these could definitely be solved. So we're gonna get through the 51 people probably in about 10 minutes because there's not that much to read on each of them, but it is going to sound repetitive. But I think it's important to get this information out there in case anyone knows anything or is around the areas or anything like that. So bear with me on this being a little repetitive. Okay. So the first victim, Angela Mariana Ford. And I'm looking down if you're watching the video because my notes are down here. So Angela Mariana Ford was a 32-year-old black woman. She was found in an abandoned building 
in the basement at 209 East 46th Street on January 4, 2001. Charlotte W. Day was a 42-year-old black woman found in a vacant lot at 3432 West Monroe on March 28, 2001. Winfred Shines was a 33-year-old black woman. She was found at the back lot of a shop-and-buy store at 11125 South Michigan on August 2, 2001. I also want to state that these are all Chicago cases, which is why I'm not saying the city and the state after each address. Brenda Coert was a 52-year-old black woman found in a vacant lot at 7540 South Halstead on August 22, 2001. Elaine Bonetta was a Hispanic 41-year-old woman found face down on a sidewalk at 2452 West Bloomingdale Ave on November 5th, 2001. Saudia Banks was a 39-year-old black woman found in her apartment at 3544 South State on December 28, 2001. Bessie Scott was a 43-year-old black woman found in an abandoned beauty salon at 1608 West 47th Street on February 16, 2002. Gwendolyn Williams was a 44-year-old black woman found behind a dollar store at 4832 North Sheridan on June 12, 2002. Jody Grissom was a 20-year-old white woman found in an alley at 5143 South Austin on August 14, 2002. Lorraine Harris was a 36-year-old white woman found in an alley at 5059 North Ridgeway on August 25th, 2002. Deli Jones was a 33-year-old black woman found in the garage of an abandoned building at 4615 West Erie on September 7th, 2002. Celeste Jackson was a black 37-year-old found in an alley at 724 East 104th Street on December 20th, 2002. Nancy Walker was a 55-year-old black woman found on the side of the road by a cleaning crew. She was dismembered at 10801 South Stony Island on March 19, 2003. Linda Green was a 42-year-old black woman found in an alley at 6804 South Chicago Ave on May 20, 2003. Tarika Jones was a 30-year-old black woman found in the basement of an abandoned building at 1549 South St. Louis on May 20, 2003. Rosenda Barocchio was a 20-year-old white woman found face-up in an alley at 2725 West 15th Place on August 14, 2003. Latanya Keller was a 29-year-old black woman found in a garbage can at 803 South Keeler on August 16, 2003. Latricia Hall was a 21-year-old black woman found in a vacant lot at 2031 West 58th Street on October 15, 2003. Lucy Set, also known as Mary Thomas, was found 
in the garage of an abandoned building with blunt force trauma to her head at 3522 West Jackson when she was 38 years old on October 15, 2003. Ethel Amerson was also found with blunt force trauma to the head at 36 years old on the second floor of an abandoned building at 6019 South King Drive on December 26, 2003. Michelle Davenport was a black 40-year-old woman found in a garbage can at 1943 West 69th Street on July 15, 2004. Tamala Edwards was a 37-year-old black woman found in an alley at 2210 North Mango at October 16, 2004. Mikhailova Williams was an 18-year-old black woman found behind Woodbro Stamping Steel at 2416 Ogden Ave on November 5, 2004. She is the youngest victim connected to this theory because she is 18 years old. I think the next oldest victim is 20. Precious Smith was a 23-year-old black woman found in an alley at 6918 South Carpenter on January 13, 2005. Denise Torres was a white 35-year-old woman found in an alley at 2046 North Whipple Ave, February 1, 2005. Wanda Hall was a 33-year-old black woman found in a vacant lot at 3036 West Van Buren on August 30, 2005. Yvette Mason was a 35-year-old black woman found in an alley at 5031 South Indiana Ave on December 25, 2005. Shaniqua Williams was a 40-year-old black woman found behind an abandoned building at 4231 South Prairie on December 30, 2005. Margaret Gomez was a 22-year-old white woman found in a junkyard at 4200 South Knox Ave on January 12, 2006. Antoinette Simmons was a 21-year-old black woman found in a city trash container at 7421 South Loomis on July 14, 2006. Antoinette was also asphyxiated. She still had the plastic bag over her head. Kelly Sarf was a 34-year-old white woman found in an abandoned building at 3512 West Monroe on September 24, 2006. Veronica Frazier was a 46-year-old black woman found in an alley at 10142 South Wentworth on March 25, 2007. Mary Sakowski was a 56-year-old white woman found on an enclosed porch at 4729 South Laughlin on May 2, 2007. Teresa Bunn was a 21-year-old black woman found burnt in a garbage can in a vacant lot at 6125 South Prairie on November 13, 2007. Hazel Marion Lewis was a 52-year-old black woman found burnt in a garbage can at 834 East 50th Street on November 14, 2007. Genevieve Mellis was a 32-year-old white woman found in Marquette Park near the lagoon at 3015 West Man Drive. On October 9th, 2008. 
Charlene Miller was a 54-year-old black woman found in her apartment at 5401 South Ellis Ave on June 13, 2009. This is the second woman that was found in her apartment. Latoya Banks was a 29-year-old black woman found in an alley at 3334 West Congress Parkway on July 5, 2009. Shannon Williams was a 36-year-old black woman found in an alley at 4920 West Adams on August 6, 2009. Vanessa Rajokovich was a 32-year-old white woman found next to the river at 5100 North Central Park on December 9, 2008. She was found asphyxiated, still with a bag on her head. LaFonda Sue Wilson was a 43-year-old black woman found in an alley at 4314 West Carroll on June 25, 2010. Quanda Critter was a 37-year-old black woman found in the first floor, first floor closet of an abandoned building with blunt force trauma to the head at 816 West Marquette Road on July 6th. Welcome to Breezeline, where you'll say, ta-ta, T-Mobile, because we have 99.9% network reliability, and they don't. That's right. Time, weather, or even streaming in a basement won't affect our superior service. That's because we have real internet, backed by our fiber-powered network. And T-Mobile? Well, they just have a 5G cellular network. So for a limited time, find your perfect speed with prices starting at $19.99 a month for 24 months. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Breezeline.com to learn more. 16th, 2010. Angela Prophet was a 46-year-old black woman found in a vacant lot at 5524 South Calumet on August 28, 2011. Pamela Wilson was a 30-year-old black woman who was found in the grassy area of a vacant lot at 7831 South Low on August 9, 2012. Velma Howard was a 50-year-old black woman found in an alley at 622 North Homan Ave on February 21st, 2014. Diamond Turner, who was asphyxiated and had blunt force trauma, was a 21-year-old black woman found in a garbage can between 73rd Street and Kenwood plus Dorchester. She was found on 76th Street between Kenwood and Dorchester. Sorry, I was trying to figure out my, my notes. <laughs> on March 3rd, 2017, Arthur Hillard has been arrested for Diamond Turner's murder, and he's being investigated for two other murders, but we'll get into that all later. The oldest victim was Catherine Satterfield Buchanan at 58 years old. She was found in a parkway at 3506 West Huron on June 22nd, 2017. Valerie Marie Jackson was a 49-year-old black woman found in a yard at 6339 South Rhodes on March 17th, 2018. Laura Dawn Harbin was a 44-year-old white woman found in a grassy yard of an abandoned residence at 4533 West West End on May 25th, 2018. Nicole Lionel Ridge was a 47-year-old white woman found in the garage of an abandoned building 
at 23 West 104th place on June 12, 2018. Rio Renee Hollyfield was a 34-year-old black woman found in a garbage can in an alley at 500 West 95th Street on September 10th, 2018. She is not confirmed to have been strangled. There's really no confirmation on that. So that is the 51 victims. Now let's get into a few other things. Make myself a little bigger up in this corner. This is not what I'm looking for. <laughs> this is what I'm looking for. Okay, so this is unforgotten51.com. It says the untold story of murder, murdered women in Chicago. So here's some pictures. From left to right, it goes Nancy Walker, Gwendolyn Williams, Rio Renee, Hollyfield, Teresa Bunn, Hazel Lewis, Genevieve Mellis, and Margaret Gomez. If you follow us, follow me, the podcast on Instagram. I have been posting one victim's picture about every day for the last two weeks, and I am continuing to do that. It is pretty difficult to find pictures for some of these women because their cases were just not publicized. So there is a podcast focusing on the Unforgotten 51. It's called Behind the Story. Well, it's called Unforgotten. This is an episode called Behind the Story. They On this website, they also have about the project. This is a project from Roosevelt University, the journalism students. And they are really just looking into these killings and trying to raise awareness about the story. They also have a few portraits of life, which is where the people working on the story worked with the family and came up with some stuff to write about them. So, for example, this is Nancy Walker's. Her sister is quoted saying, when I lost her, I could not swallow my food. I felt like I was doing her an injustice because I could still eat and Nancy couldn't. And they have pictures of the victims when they were killed, when they were younger. They have families and the families kind of talk about who they were as a person and how hard it was to accept that they were gone and how hard it is to be raising awareness and still be looking for their killer. So it's really giving you a picture of their life. We also discussed Gwendolyn Williams. Her portrait of life is on here. And Genevieve Mellis, 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 Rio Renee Hollyfield. Jessica Flores is one that I did not discuss. She is a victim from 2019. All the research I did only goes up to 2018, but her case is good to look at as well. Same with Shant Shantia Smith. Her portrait of life is on here either. I did not do hers, which was also 2019. Then there's Hazel Lewis, which I did talk about. Diamond Turner, which I did talk about. Margaret Gomez, Teresa Bunn, which I both talked about. So then on here, there's stuff to learn about the people who are reporting this. There is the podcast Unforgotten, 
and podcast lessons from the storm. But really, if you go to this website, I think you should look at the portraits of life because it'll give you a little bit of deeper insight into who these people were. Not really their case or anything about their case, but just who they were as a person. Let's go to this one. So now we're looking at a map of unsolved, unsolved strangulation cases in and around the Chicago area. All the gray dots, which are most of them, were women found before 2018. Women found in 2018 are the red dots, which makes up three from what we can see here. But if you're looking at, at it, you see the clump here in southern Chicago, the clump here in western Chicago, and then a few stragglers in northern and southwest Chicago, and even right in the middle of Chicago. But if you go to this and click on any of them, it won't tell you the names of the women, but it will tell you 32-year-old white women found near, a found near a lagoon in Market Park in 2008. So it'll give you a little bit of information. This is something I wanted to bring up that doesn't have to do just with the case, but this is the crime report for homicides in Illinois from 1965 to 2019. There have been 49,026 homicides in that time. They have only cleared 17,650. That's only a 36% solved rate, which is insane. I would have thought it was at least 50%, but that's not what we're looking at here. This just went back to the American one. Let's go back to Illinois. So if we're looking at the chart, the red is the murders and these like grayish brown things are the solved ones. So from 1965 to 1981, there's quite a lot of clearance. It's a pretty good clearance rate, almost to the top. Then we get from 1982 to 1993, and it's about half clearance. But then we look at 1994 through 2020, and there is almost no clearance at all. 1994 clearances were 61 when there was 880, no, 1,074 homicides. It's just, that's insane. So I can absolutely see how there could be active serial killers in the Chicagoland area because people just aren't getting caught. That's what's going on here. If you want to look up your state or your county or anything like that, this is murderdata.org. And it's the Murder Accountability Project Clearance Rates. It is really interesting to just look up different places, honestly. So this, we are looking at one more map. This is the website for the Murder Squad. And they did a whole thing on, is there an active serial killer in Chicago? They wrote out all the cases. This is how I found a lot of my information and they go through all the cases, but they have this map 
once it loads. Chicago's unsolved female strangulations. So if we're looking at the blue dots, they were found in abandoned buildings. If we're looking at the red, they were found in alleys. If we're looking at the purple, they were found in garbage cans. Blue, found in vacant lots. Orange, found indoors. Green, found outdoors. Right now we have all of the years on there. So 2001 through 2018. Once again, you can see this clump down here of the southern cases. There's even a clump even more south. There's the clump in the west, and then the few stragglers north and southwest. But let's look at it kind of year by year. So 2001. The earlier years have a lot more, by the way. So 2001, we are looking at six cases. 2002, we're looking at six cases once again. 2003, we're looking at eight cases. 2004, there's only three cases. 2005, there are five cases. 2006, there are three cases. 2007, four cases. 2008, there's only one. 2009, there are four. 2010, there are two. 2011, there's only one. 2012, there's only one. 2014, there's only one. 2017, there are two. 2018, there are four. So there are none for 2013, 2015, or 2016. If we are talking about a serial killer, we could be talking about someone who kind of satisfied his or her needs so that they could go a year or two without killing, or more likely, they were just trying out new methods. So they weren't connected to all of these cases, which is more likely when you are looking at serial killers. They don't really just stop killing normally. Sometimes they do. There's really no method for serial killers overall. We can't break it down into a science. But generally, they don't stop killing because it's kind of a compulsion. They have to keep killing. So it's more likely than not that if this was a serial killer responsible for these deaths, they just changed up their style. And we're going to get into it more next week, but I have noticed that the two instances where the bodies were burned were one after another. So that kind of makes me think this serial killer tried it out, tried it again, and was like, no, I don't like that. So he kind of stopped. And there are a few trends like that where it seems the killer is trying out new ways to do something or new ways to hide evidence or new places to put the bodies. And sometimes they don't like it, sometimes they do. So the years where nothing is connected to these 51 cases 
it is very possible that the killer was trying out different kinds of killing that just don't theoretically connect to these when looking at the facts. That's really all I've got for today. I really do encourage you, if you're just listening to this, to watch the video so you can see the maps and stuff. If you are watching the video, then you're already done with that part. I do also encourage you to go read the portrait, Portraits of Life at Unforgotten51.org because they do give insight into some of the victims, and that is always a good thing to have. I just didn't want to spend the time reading them verbatim because some people don't want to hear it, and some people do. So go look at that website and look at their podcasts as well, because I haven't listened to them, but I'd assume they give a little more insight. Next week, we are going to go into what I... what cases I believe are linked, which comes out to 44, and what I believe the profile of the killer would be. This week was kind of more just factual data, and me reading stuff off, but next week will be more thought-provoking and definitely more interesting, if that's the right word. Don't think it's the right word, but oh well. Anyways, if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, follow us on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod, Facebook group, Facebook page. We have the Patreon if you would like to support the podcast. Um... I think that's it. So stay safe and have a great day. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 US and DC. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.